Um, yeah, so with that in mind, let me just pray. Father, I, I do thank you for the busyness of the week. I thank you for uh, the encouragement that it was to us and to um, the people's house who it was. And, and, uh, and I just pray now that you'd be present, continue to be present, that is, as, as I know that you will be. That uh, you would filter my words, that, that you know every single person in this room, you know what they need to hear for their benefit, for their edification. And I pray that um, um, what is helpful for them, that you would guide it into their hearts and minds, Lord. And that you would, you would soften us all now to hear your gospel. Amen. Okay. So we're at John chapter 3, 1 to 8. Reads, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Um, it's funny to me that I, this text landed on me, I guess, or, or I got given this text to preach because for years now it's perplexed me, especially the end part about the, the wind blowing where it wishes. Nicole and I wrote a song um, probably a few years ago now, I guess, and really, we wrote, we wrote one chorus and then kind of a verse, but I just stopped. I just, I just couldn't bear going on because I could never really understand what it meant. You know, like the poetic, artistic side of me really likes it and sort of lightens up at it and so cool imagery and whatever, but what's he really saying? And, uh, and so I just put it aside and, and I've pulled out just the chorus every once in a while to sing it because I really like that part but still not really, not really quite understanding. So it's ironic in my mind that I would be the one charged with explaining what I've never understood. So, so good luck to y'all. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think this is a really good example, this passage, of what Steve, Steve quoted Augustine earlier in, in our, at the beginning of this uh, series in John. And so 1,600 years ago, he said... John's gospel is deep enough for an elephant to swim in and shallow enough for a child not to drown. Deep enough for an ele elephant to swim in, shallow enough for a child not to drown. So I think this passage is, is really perfect at illustrating that. You can read it quickly and get a sense like, well, you need to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. You need to be born of the Spirit, whatever that might mean, to enter the kingdom of God. And and then later on, you get to the whole eternal life and John 3.16, which everyone, everyone sort of knows or knows exactly. And, uh, and so you just get a general sense of what it might mean. But then when you read it more slowly and carefully, things start opening up and you start to realize, 
there's no way really to know exactly what's going on here. Just sort of you get the sense. But there's all kinds of opinions about several aspects of this passage. So we'll just get into that. Uh, Let's see, verses 1 to 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So two questions to me jump to mind. One is who is this fellow named Nicodemus? And the other is why is he coming to Jesus at night? Um, First, he was a man. And however simple that might be, if you read it in, in its original text where there's no chapter and verse ver- you know, divides, you would read it right after verse, or chapter 2, verses 24 to 25, which read, uh, I think it's up there, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. And then 3, verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. So it seems like John is saying there's lots of repetitions of the word man or men. And he's saying, he's saying something here that Nicodemus is, is a man and, and perhaps a representative man. He was, a, he was a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body of Palestine. Um, under Rome, of course, who did all the, you know, the, you know, they were the ones really in charge. But the Sanhedrin were the were the ones who were locally in charge of, of law and, and religious, religious matters. Um, uh, his name was Nicodemus, which is a Greek name. And I'm, I've read that it's a probable sign that he was well-educated in the Greek society. Um, if, you, if they were educated in Greek society, they were given a Greek name. And so he, he definitely had a Hebrew name as well, but he chose to stick with his Nicodemus name, and, uh, which may or may not be a sign of his education in that society, and also his preference for that society. They were called Hellenists, the Jews that preferred Greek society. They, were, they dabbled in, in all things Greek, but remained uh, pure in the Jewish sense. Um, and he was probably wealthy. I mean, it's pretty safe to say it's one of the more powerful people in Palestine. He probably had a few dollars in his pocket. So John seems to be communicating something about this. He's not just a man. He's an example of a man. Uh, but he's an exemplary man. Like this is, this is the man in Palestine. He's, 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 he's powerful. He's educated. He's pious. He's wealthy. Um, he's got it all. And so why does he come to Jesus at night? Well, simply the answer is that there's no way to know. Um, but there are many suggestions. Some have said that he was afraid. Um, afraid of, uh, you know, retribution or, or, or being attacked or whatever. Others have thought that he was merely seeking a private audience with Jesus in quiet. Jesus was very popular and, uh, you know, just felt himself worthy of a, a private audience with Jesus, which is certainly possible. And a third possibility, which seems to be the more traditional one, one that I've heard over the years, is that he wanted to come in secret to protect his reputation. So in some sense, a fear-oriented move. He found himself curious at, at all the signs, um, uh, saw that the, here was this uneducated carpenter, and, and he's from Galilee of all places. And, but I, I'm, I'm intrigued. I want to go talk to him, but I don't want to go talk to him in public. And, and so I'll go at night and, 
And, and there seems to be some sense, some justification for this, this sort of move because later on in chapter 7, verses 50 to 52, um, we have Nicodemus who had gone to him before and who is one of them, the Pharisees that is. This is, the context of this is the Pharisees have sent out the officers to capture Jesus. They've come back without him and the Pharisees are upset and, and the officers are saying, uh, but, you know, he spoke such wonderful things, and he, he seemed like, basically, he seemed like someone not worthy of being arrested. Why, how, we couldn't arrest him. The Pharisees are mad. And so Nicodemus says, who had gone, or uh, one of them said to him, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? So Nicodemus has seen what Jesus has done. He knows something of it. And so in some way here, he's defending Jesus. Uh, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So you get a sense Nicodemus knew that this attitude or, or uh, feeling was prevalent in, in, his, in his circle, you could say. Literally his circle. Uh, so yeah, whatever the reason for the late night visit, it's clear that he's searching for something. We can say that for sure. He's respectful of Jesus. He calls him teacher. Uh, he admits that God is with him, which is, you know... Uh, uh, a, a very, very special declaration. I mean, kings had God with them. Prophets, prophets had God with them. Um, not everyone just was understood that God was with them. Um, and then as, as chapter 2, verse 23 suggests, uh, Nicodemus did believe to some degree um, at the sight of Jesus' signs, though it remains uh, clear that he doesn't really understand what he believes in. Like he's seen signs and and he believes something's going on. He, he obviously believes more than the rest of his fellow Pharisees, enough to come ask questions. So verses three and four, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said back, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? First off, with the truly, truly saying, it can also be translated verily, verily, or, or amen, amen, or I tell you the truth, whatever your version is, probably has one of those. King James is known for the verily, verily, and, and uh, in Greek, it's, it's literally amen, amen. That's where we get the word uh, amen from. Um, but basically, that, that double amen uh, phrase is, is, is just an emphatic way of saying this is a proclamation, authoritative uh, truth-telling. And in, in Hebrew culture, it would have been like, say, say two people are, or one person's reporting on an event or something that's happened, and, and the other person comes alongside and says, truly, truly, it is the case. I've seen it with my own eyes. I'm, I'm verifying that, that this is the truth. I'm, I'm vouching for this person's, this person's words. So what's odd here is that Jesus is saying that about himself. Like he's beginning his own statement uh, without the verification or justification or whatever of any, anybody else, he's saying, truly, truly, I say to you. So there's a sense of authoritative uh, truth-giving here. Uh, also, we encounter the first major interpretive, what I call deep end of the pool, with this phrase, born again. It's one of the, the few uh, questions what's really going on here. Most scholars now think that that should be translated born from above. Some of your translations probably have that, um, but, but like the NIV, NASB, um, ESV, many others still go with born again. Um, the reason for that is that there's two words that could have been used, and the word that would mean explicitly again isn't used, 
It's, it's another word uh, that can mean just plain again, but also can mean from above. And later on in chapter 3, it's explicitly, I think it's like verse 36 or something, it's explicitly from above. And um, the sense is that the word here used is, is, it is again, but it's more than again. It's like a better again. Um, I don't quite understand this uh, exactly, but it would be like, it would be like if John played something from Mozart and, and you guys said, play it again, and all you wanted to hear was the music itself, I could go over and play it again. But it wouldn't be very good. Technically, I couldn't do it at all, but let's just say I could do it a little. <laughs> it wouldn't be very good, and, and there, you'd, you'd be left wanting. But if you said this word, you'd mean John was going to go do it again. So there would be... It wouldn't just be again, it would be like, again in a more full and, and uh, uh, you know, complete sense. And wrapped up in that is the phrase from above. So it's a, it's a spiritual sense of again. So you have born, which is again, but then you have from above. Let that sink in for just a second. I know, we're in the deep end, water's above our head. Okay. Just understand that uh, the point is that John or uh, Nicodemus is understand Jesus, understanding Jesus to be saying "born again." So, regardless of what Jesus said and regardless of what John wrote, Nicodemus is understanding "born again" because he says, uh, you know, he's understanding that there's. You know, it's, it's how can a man when he's born, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So really that's all we need to know. We're back in the shallow end now. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to think that Jesus is, is actually saying from above. He's saying that word with that meaning. And Nicodemus is actually hearing again. So there's kind of this funky thing going on there. The problem with that then is then you get into questions of, well, did Jesus actually say that Greek word from above, or did he say the Aramaic word from above, or the Aramaic word again? See what I'm saying? Real deep. So, anyway, the point is simple. It's that a rebirth of some kind is needed, or a birth of some kind, a spiritual birth, a, a grander birth. We're beyond flesh here. So he goes on to explain further in verse 5. It's a parallel. Hebrew, the Hebrew culture like to do this. You see it all over. If you've been reading Proverbs, you've been reading parallel after parallel after parallel. Um, where it says one thing and another thing. Not exactly the same, but, but a little bit different. At usually adding on to it in some way. So in this case, it's a great example. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water... And the spirit, he cannot enter instead of see the kingdom of God. There are several different understandings of what is meant by this word water. Um, we'll just look at a few here. And again, this is, we're now back in the deep end. And, uh, and, and there's no answer necessarily. It's really, uh, I'll just leave it up to you to decide what you think it means. But I do want to eliminate the first one, for sure. And that's that water is referring to baptism. 
Others have argued, other church traditions have argued from this verse that baptism is necessary for salvation. I mean, it's understandable to an extent because if you read, if, if one is born of water, if one is baptized and then believes, converted by the Spirit, then one may enter into the kingdom of God. But there are a whole host of passages that would conflict with that understanding, passages that just list belief as the necessary component for, for salvation or entrance into the kingdom of God. And plus, baptism just doesn't seem like it would be, uh, it doesn't make sense here in this conversation, especially with Nicodemus. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce says it, says it well. He says, baptism is a sign of what has already taken place, but it is not the agent by which it takes place. It's a sign of what has already taken place, but not the agent by which it takes place. Second is probably the more traditional view, and that is that water is referring to natural birth from a womb. Um, to me, this seems to be like the simplest, plainest understanding of the text. Um, especially given what Nicodemus has just said. He's understanding Jesus to be saying, born again, how can a man re-enter a womb? Uh, so he's talking in this language. He's understanding this kind, of, this kind of sense. And so then Jesus is responding by saying, well, yes, yes, yes. You do have to be born of the water. You do have to be born of the womb, a watery birth, if you will. But then you also have to be born of the Spirit. So in, it could be read that Jesus is saying, Oh, I see you're confused. Yes, that is the case, but it's more than that. It's more than the flesh. There's some kind of spiritual thing that has to go on. So that's, that's the, the understanding I've heard most often. Um, others are where they take water. Other uh, theories are, are water is some kind of metaphor, a metaphor for different things. And probably the, the leading one among that is they go back to Ezekiel 36. If you want to put that up, Chris. Um, 36, 24 to 27, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put... Next page, my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So this is possible. Nicodemus certainly would have had this in mind as a leading Pharisee. He would have had um, great knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures, especially of the prophets. He would have been well aware of all the references to the spirit of God in the Old Testament because there really just aren't that many. And also of the motif of water, um, I would imagine he would have been well aware of, of that too, and especially where they're coupled together. And then, after all that, this passage in Ezekiel is you know, a great sort of Jewish tradition of redemption and, and, and what God's going to do. And this would have been a well-known passage, and, and Jesus could have said that, um, wanting to draw Nicodemus back to that. So it's certainly a, a possible theory. But again, to come out of the deep end a little bit, the point is that there is some kind of spiritual birth or rebirth that needs to take place. Verses six and eight. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Verse seven. 
Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Verse 6 is simply saying, look, that which is born of the flesh is just flesh. The Spirit is superior. You can't work towards perfection. You can't... uh, doesn't matter how wealthy you are, how educated you are, how powerful you are, what position you have, what titles you have, what authority you have, what knowledge, what good deeds you do or don't do. It is uh, the, the work of the Spirit that matters here. And I think that to some degree, Jesus is saying that there is a mystery here. That the the work of the Spirit of God is mysterious. It's untraceable. It's unknowable. You have a sense of it, but you don't really know why it works, how it works, uh, when it's going to work. Yeah. This last week, the leader of our whole group, his name's Greg, he, uh, he told his testimony, and really one of the best testimonies I've ever heard. And no, in no way could I, could I reproduce it here. But what's so odd about him is that he is 48 years old, and you meet him, and he just has the Spirit of God on him. Like, you just can see it in his eyes. You can hear it in his voice. He just has this peace that is amazing. You just want to be around him and talk to him and learn from him. And uh, in some, you can tell, and yeah, anyway, uh, just an amazing guy, an amazing believer. It's just clear that God has his hands on him. But Greg's story is that from 14 years old, he got addicted to drugs and alcohol. Uh, and then from then on, addicted to marijuana and addicted to cocaine. And, and in high school, he stole several thousand dollars from the school. And... Uh, and his parents had to pay that money back uh, from their savings, which they had saved for their 25-year anniversary. And they were a fairly poor family. And so all their money they had been saving for years for their 25-year anniversary, they had to pay uh, to basically pay his debt to keep him out of jail, essentially. And, and yet, he kept going. It didn't, it, didn't, it didn't affect him. He kept living a life of... Of, of sin, he grew up in a in a nominally Catholic family. Um, at one point, he was in a drunk driving accident, but then they got the car back on the road and went to their house and kept drinking, kept partying all night long. And then he found out the next day that his sister had been killed that same night, uh, ten miles away, like within the same half hour by a drunk driver, and still didn't affect his behavior. Um, one time he was at a party and he drank so much and done so many drugs that he went into the bathroom and just was vomiting and vomiting and vomiting to go back to Nicole's reference. And uh, so much that he just, and man, I can relate because I was doing this last Monday or, or Monday before, I guess. So much that just his throat felt like it was coming out. Just a terrible experience. And he passed out next to the toilet and his friends brought him back to his apartment laid him on the floor, 
didn't take him to the police, didn't, or call the police, didn't take him to the, the hospital, and, um, and he woke up two days later. Um, he got married, he had two kids, he got divorced. Um, he, he, he didn't ever have custody. He had rights to visit. His, the county didn't want to let him uh, see his kids, but then he got rights to visit like for one day a month or something, supervised with a, an official from the government and the city the government. And, and then he lost that, I think, because he showed up drunk one time. And, and then he got married again. And, uh, and then that wasn't going so well. And he was with his wife on Memorial Day visiting her grandparents' grave. And right next to that was a, a gravestone with a picture of a mother and her daughter. And he said to his wife, how did, how did they get killed? And she said, in a drunk driving accident. And right there, it's years later now from his sister dying, and right there he was just overwhelmed with emotion, like down on the ground, sobbing and sobbing and sobbing, like a decade's worth of guilt and, and feeling and just pouring out of him. And then they went on a walk, and. He sat on a rock and, and, and not really knowing God at all, just prayed and, um, you know, prayed for forgiveness, basically, and, and um, in, 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 in whatever sort of feeble way a guy like that could do. And, uh, but then still lived kind of a topsy-turvy life for the next 10 years. And then one day at work, he had some coworkers that were Christians, and they went out to lunch with him. And one of them shared the Romans road, if you're familiar with that, just the several verses in Romans, uh, you know, the gospel message. And he was like, yeah, I want to do that. And, um, and it wasn't until he said that moment when he prayed on that rock that his life started to look up at all. But then when he prayed that day, uh, his life really changed. He devoured the word, went back home, um, uh, his wife became a Christian a couple months later. He then they had another kid, and they got custody of the first two kids. And this was all just six years ago. Like he's 48 years old. Not till he was 42. So that, to me, in my mind, is a picture of, 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 of the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Like you wonder, number one, why would God even waste his time with someone like this guy? Because the way he described it, he was just a complete failure, a complete loser. But I wanted to read those, the words from the song that we sang this morning. He is able, he is able, he is willing, doubt no more. Without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. Not the righteous, Sinners, Jesus came to call. This he gives you. It is the Spirit's rising beam. None but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. John chapter 1, we've looked at earlier this year, verses 12 to 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God. This person is Jesus. He is the word in the flesh. He is the lamb of God. 
He takes away the sin of the world. So how will you respond to this passage? If you are not a follower of Christ, if you are feeling even the slightest tug on your heart this morning, then please don't deny it. Spiritual rebirth and an entrance into the kingdom of God are yours if you receive him and believe in his name. You will be born, born of God. And if you are a follower of Christ, then you might be saying, well, I've heard this before, and what's this have to do with me, and, and, and yada, 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 and I got that down, and I got that all figured out. But are you seeking after God, like Proverbs 2 says, like silver? Are you searching for it as like treasure? It's not simply enough to just believe. I mean, what's that mean, to believe? Are you searching persistently? Yeah. If you're not a follower of Christ, please don't deny that. Please turn to him. If you want to talk to somebody about it after the service, then please I welcome you up here. I'll be up here. There'll be others up here that'll be praying. Just don't let it go. Don't wait till you're 42 or 52 or 72. Let me pray. Father, Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that this is the beginning of the gospel, that there's even more to come that there's more details, that there's more color, that there's more um, wonder of the story. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for us, to take away the sins of the world. We pray, Father, that you draw us near to you constantly, whoever we are, whatever we've done, whatever we're thinking, whatever we're feeling, however hard our hearts might be, I pray that you just draw us, Lord. Amen.